Hello, and welcome to the green team of The Legendarian, the weird little spinoff where the patrons of The Legendarian talk about books and topics Craig and the crew haven't gotten around to yet. I'm Little Red Book, and today I have with me Chesky. Hello. And Lamy Lambs. Aloha. A.K.A. Mike from the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. Also, that's me. Today, we are discussing The Last Colony by John Scalzi, the Old Man's War series. Spoilers for both Old Man's War and the Ghost Brigade start now. But before we get into that, on a five-star scale, how would you rate this book? And also, how do you rank this book within the series? 4.9. I think it's my favorite book of the of the six that are out so far. There's six? I thought yeah, there was there's only... six. Oh, four. Oh, dear. <laughs> I got myself into another one of those situations. Hopefully there's going to be a seventh someday, but I haven't heard any word on that yet. I think it's my favorite of the, of the six so far. Like, none of them are bad in any sense of the word, but I think this one, this one does what it's trying to do the best. What about you, Chesky? I actually am taking the opposing argument this time. Oh. This was, this was oh, probably my least favorite of these three books so far that we've read. I would probably just give it three to three and a half. I like Scalzi. This book just didn't do it for me. And I have multiple reasons why we could talk about it a little later. That's that's where I'd rank it. Oh, wow. So I would give it a 4.5. It is the favorite book for me um that we've read so far which is only three and now i apparently have three others i have to read but he really grew into i don't want to say grew as a writer because he's been a writer for a long time but he really grew into what the story was doing so i'm with lammy on this chesky i'm sorry you're all by yourself (laughs) that's okay when i make my points they will stand strong enough okay you don't have to change your mind you just have to rethink it Okay, so we all agree that choice was the major theme of the last book. What do you think the theme of this book is? Uh, I guess I'll jump in here first. I would say communication was the, was the like, if I've got to do a single word theme, communication. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I would, before you said communication, single word, I was just thinking uh, they talked a lot about the... He talked a lot about like the right to do things versus the authority to do things and kind of sticking to your beliefs or sticking to what you think is right. But I do agree that if you had to sum it all down to one, it's communication. Wow. So I asked this question and I don't have an answer for it. (laughs) So I really wanted to hear what you guys were going to say. The theme that stood out to me uh, the most, I would say, is what is home? What does that word mean? But it's not the main theme of the book. And that's even though it's the thing that stood out to me the most. So I think communication is probably very good. I also like the idea about authority versus right. And I just think this book has a lot going on. So it's hard to settle on one theme. You are in charge of the recap, Lammy. Yay, I get to do a recap. Okay, so I started writing this just sort of going through and summarizing what happened and then about halfway through i realized i was just doing bullet points like dave does in my podcast and then i decided to embrace that and go back and change all of my stuff to bullet points so here we go goat meeting nap green man from space so beginning of the book john perry 
has a meeting with the two most annoying people in the village of New Goa uh, and their goat. Well, one of them's goat. It's it's complicated. There's goat stuff. There's a lot of goats. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, At least he, two. <laughs> he follows us up with taking a nap for like the second half of his day. Like that's that's just his whole day is one meeting followed by a nap. That's his job. Yep. It's a pretty awesome job, I gotta say. There's some good back and forth sniping between him and his assistant. Love his assistant. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he then goes out and catches up with the town constable who he kisses in public. Said constable complains about it. Said constable being Jane Sagan, formerly of the CDS Special Forces, currently his wife living on living on New Goa. They head home. They are met on the road by their daughter, Zoe Booten. Someone else want to give it give a try at the pronunciation there? Because I know that's not right. I always just said like Bowden, basically. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Who was effectively the living MacGuffin of the previous book. <laughs> that's true. She was. <laughs> I'd go into it, but. You kind of just need to read the whole previous book to, to get her whole deal. Uh, she lets them know that there's a there's a green man from space at their house who is John's former commanding officer who offers them a job to go lead a new colony. They talk about it, then they accept, and then we fast forward. There's, there's this whole presentation about the planet they're going to. It's very informative. It's very useful. John checks on the supplies. We get a whole list of like everything that they're getting. It's, it gets kind of granular there and then there's a very cryptic conversation with the with zoe's oban bodyguard slash caretakers slash friend people yeah companions it's weird where uh they basically tell john that they know stuff and they can't tell him anything because he doesn't know stuff but they know stuff which is the whole book i mean that happens all throughout the book like somebody knows something we can't tell you because we don't know if you know it. Then dodgeball. <laughs> <laughs> that was genius, by the way. We will talk about that. <laughs> uh, the presentation was a ruse. That whole interesting and informative presentation. Completely useless. Different planet. Nobody knows anything. They're, they're now trapped there with, like, on this complete mystery planet that they have very little information on along with the crew of the ship who are very unhappy about this. I mean, they're like, all very... very unhappy. Yeah, nobody's it's... really happy, but like the ship's no crew are extra special unhappy because everybody else agreed to colonize a planet. It's a different planet, but they still agreed to colonize a planet. The ship's crew did no such thing. True. The ruse was a deception. So we find out that this, is, this was an intentional different planet it's all meant to keep them hidden. Uh, the lunch was nanobots. Jane, Jane's yep. been remade into special forces, which is apparently a thing that can happen now. I mean, science, right? Not magic. It's science. Yeah. Uh, she has a lunch with General Zylard, who is, you'll remember, the head of the CDF special forces. Uh, and he slips her a roofie. By, Not that by kind of roofie. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> He slips her some nanobots. Yeah. 
Uh, on a scale from one to functional plumbing, John and Jane are rather unpopular colony leaders for a while after landing. After they land, John and Jane don't want anybody to actually leave the, the initial tent city that they put together because there might be dangers. There are, definitely are some sort of wild animal. Everybody has to pee in buckets and nobody likes it. Also, That's the whole place true. smells like armpit. An oft-repeated joke. Fanties and weird rats and werewolves, oh my. Uh, so there's a variety of life forms on the planet. The three that we get any sort of focus on are the fanties, which are similar to but entirely unlike elephants. They're just like large herd animals that migrate. Weird rats could be baby. We don't really get much on these. They could be like baby fanties. We don't know. Or they're just weird rat analogs. They have four eyes and they're all stretched Everything out. Everything does, and... though. They yeah. all have four eyes. Mm -hmm. Zoe tries to tame one. It lasts for about an hour. And werewolves. <laughs> werewolves. Those show up a little bit later, but those are sort of the the big middle of the book plot. Uh, I have things and thoughts. Go ahead. Uh, rest in peace, Hiram Yoder, Space Mennonite. Oh. Yeah. One of the sadder scenes of the book. Rip is, too soon. <laughs> yep, the the leader of the of the Space Mennonites. Which is, which is a legit thing in this book, Space Mennonites. Yeah, he gets surrounded by the werewolf people things, and one of them kills him. Moving forward, good news, bad news? Bad news. Every single alien species wants to destroy this colony and will find its location sooner rather than later. Good news, you can have your PDAs back. <laughs> yeah. Which most of the colony considers Wait. it about an even trade, so, you know. <laughs> and after they went... To all that work to build the special black box. Well, John the black says box, they're dead a lot earlier. John <laughs> says some bad words. The bad words in question are an offer to General Gao to surrender. He shouldn't have done that. Boom times four hundred and twelve. The deception was a trap. The whole the whole point of the colony was to lure out the conclave's attack fleet and blow it all up. We skip forward a little more. Attack, attack, attack. Uh, there are a couple of attacks on the colony. General Gao claims that aren't from the Conclave, just some some alien species out there that are, you know, trying to trying to monopolize on a situation. But those mostly go fine. Only a few people die. Deus ex Zoe. So the Oban takes Zoe away, and then she comes back right at the last possible second with a special fancy magic machine to to fix the fight. It's not magic, it's science. No, it's, it's totally magic. It. <laughs> uh, so there's a big fight with magic. And magic happens, <laughs> and then they win, because magic. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> hey Earth, we're back, and we brought presents. Quite a lot of them, too. Yeah, this was, this was a cool well scene. Well done, Lammy. <laughs> no, I got one more. How is Babby formed? How is Babby formed? How girl get pregnant? <laughs> oh, nah, that's funny. That's <laughs> that's the internet right there. <laughs> and that's the book. That's what happened. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> so I did skate over like a huge chunk of the middle because there wasn't a, like there was a lot of good character work, but there wasn't like a lot of plot stuff happening. Yeah. I mean, there's only so much you can talk about building tents and purifying your 
sewage. I mean, I was I was into all of it, but I also right. played Oxygen Not Included, which is basically that gamified. <laughs> I mean, I like The Martian, yeah. too, and there's a lot of that in The Martian. Yeah. So, favorite characters. Go, Chesky. Yeah, I talked a lot. Oh, we, go, Chesky. We, he has. <laughs> favorite, favorite characters. Um, I'd have to say that my favorites, again, are John and Jane. I like them the most. I had only minor complaints about John. And I liked his assistant, uh, Savitiri. She was great. General Gal is up there. And the uh, commander of the Special Forces General, Slizzard, is what I call him. Literally, every time I read the, his name, I thought Lizard, because you can't, or Lizards, because if you re- rearrange the letters, <laughs> it's Lizards. No, I, they're my I'm favorite. I'm pretty sure that was, on, that was on purpose, too. It would not surprise me if it was on purpose. <laughs> Jane, but I also really liked Harem, the Space Mennonite. I really like Zoe. It's fun to watch her grow up and how much she's grown since the last book. She does act like a real kid. Yeah, she does. She's she's a real kid. Well, that helps that, you know, John Scalzi has his own teenage daughter that he could, you know, base things on and also ask her about. So I have to assume that Athena Scalzi shares a number of things with Zoe Booten. Maybe he's uh, just really experienced with kids in general. Could be. Uh, so my favorites were Savitri and Jane. John gets to be a little much. He's he's too competent at too many things, I think. That's he's fair. just he's a bit much. But and feel like John really did anything in the book. I mean, most of the time he's he's out talking and then nobody listens to him and he has to do it anyway. And then he goes into another meeting and he's told you can't know anything and somebody else does the work and then he goes to another meeting and he's told you can't know anything. I didn't feel I like don't know that, much, that opening scene or the whole first chapter is absolutely hilarious. And he does solve the problem. <laughs> the first chapter is great. I loved him in that one. It was more later. Anyway, sorry, Lamy. No, that's it. Uh, okay. Savitri and Jane. They're they're the best in this book. So how do you feel about I'm going to say this wrong and you guys are going to laugh at me. Um, Chuhole? <laughs> Trujillo. 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 Manfred Trujillo. Trujillo. How do you guys feel about this character? He played his part well in the book. He, you know, was a competent statesman who wanted to be in charge, didn't get in charge. He didn't do anything like horribly wrong. He listened to John when John said, Hey, don't do this thing. You know, he didn't go out and, and do the thing like a certain other statesman who wanted to be in charge and messed up and got everybody killed i mean i felt like he was at least initially being set up to be a bad guy mm-hmm. uh, he he was and john assumed that he was but we we got a nice view of you know someone who is more than one thing like yes he's egotistical and power hungry and wants to be in charge of the colony and also cares about the colony's best interests and will put aside his own self-interest for that goal so even though i don't list him as my one of my favorite characters in some ways he is because he's interesting yeah he's kind of a jerk but at the same time he wants success for his colony that he's been planning for years and years and years and in a way you can't 
you can understand why he would be ticked. His leadership was basically taken away from him because some jerk just didn't like him. <laughs> and we're like, we're going to pull these weirdos off this other planet and put them in charge. Ha ha ha. Take that. Uh, but it was all a ploy from General no, no, Slicer. That part, that part, that, that, that part was and wasn't. It, taking away the leadership was just because that. Yeah, but senator, if, if, she, if yeah. that senator hadn't done that, General Slizzard probably would have done something anyway. So Manfred was convinced that that the personal revenge against him was like the highest level of how we're going to screw this colony. He vastly underestimated how unimportant he is in the in the grand scheme of things. Well, I mean, basically, the whole colony was unimportant. I had a whole list of things. It was a ruse, a deception. (laughs) Okay. How do you feel about the Oban's role role in this book, especially regards to knowledge, to Zoe and concealing knowledge? Basically, they worship Zoe. She's like a almost a goddess to them, and they have they share custody almost with John and Jane. They're required to share. They have these implants, and they share their Zoe with all of the Oban. Also, the stuff and the things with the knowledge and the not telling. I found it odd that John after all these years, underestimated how important Zoe is to the entire Oban and just assumed that Hickory and Dickory were like whatever low-level Oban that could be spared for this rather than, yeah, these these two are extremely important to their people in and of themselves, and that's why they have this job. Yeah, I like that. That's how it was, even though John didn't you know think that at the beginning. And I love the nicknames. Because that, that is just their nickname for him, Hickory Dickory. Been singing a lot of Hickory Dickory Doc, so I just got a real big kick out of that. In regards to the Oban not being able to say things, that was, I mean, on the one hand, it's it's a book with a plot, so you, if you have characters who know things, then obviously they can't say it. That's, right. <laughs> that is a time-honored tradition. I mean, yeah. that's every rom-com ever. Yeah. I thought the reasons they had for not explaining it worked well with the open and their kind of uh, non-conscious consciousness. And it's never like, well, that's just the open being dumb and not parts of it were, but it was more in service to the plot. I felt that part made more sense to me. That was actually the thing that bothered me the most is that they couldn't tell. Why? Why can't you tell? That It made no sense. It fit better with the theme of the book if they don't tell. Uh, yeah, the, it, the, it made me actively angry. I'm sorry. There were times where I was really mad. The part that the part that made me mad more more mad, fast frustrated was I felt like every time we skipped, we switched characters, he was like, and then he told me what the plan was. Cut. And then he told oh, me yeah, this. That's cut. That and then true. I said, we're going to do this. Cut. And I was like, ah, like, I get it. You wanted to be a surprise. You wanted to be exciting when it happens. And I, but like. Over and over and over, every reveal in this book was was withheld from me, and I was like, I just want you know, give me one of those. Was was that the basis for your didn't care for the book? Can we get into that? Yeah, I'd, I'll like, tell you I'd why. like to hear that. I tell you why I didn't <laughs> like the book. I did okay, not like. This it. is making me so happy because Chesky is normally like so positive. I'm, well, I'm it's still a good book. Hear... I'm not like I'm not like nay naying on it the whole way. It's just like can I can I take a guess? You before sure you, can. Before you go ahead, take a guess. Okay. Uh-huh. Were you going into this with the expectation that it was going to be yet another military sci-fi book as that like as that is like the the base genre and then it wasn't that? That part that that's not really my 
concerned. Mine are actually a bit more uh, writing oriented, which is surprising for me. All right. I'm excited to hear this. I am so excited. <laughs> so I, I didn't like the the not surprises being told there's a plan, but never getting to know the plan until after it's been put into effect. I did not like how much the story cut and jumped. It felt like it was a lot to me because I read it within a really short period of time, but it was you're going to read and then, OK, a couple days to a couple weeks later, uh, you know, and that's yeah, whatever. I also felt this one was way too info dumpy on a lot of different things. Personal opinion, like I'm not. I don't disagree. Yeah, those it are info dumpy. Those, those are, are all fair criticisms. criticisms. And yeah. then I just with the name, The Last Colony, this is the last thing I thought it was either going to be a story about like they're going to form a colony and then it was like, OK, now they're a lost colony. And then he tricked me and it's not a lost colony. It's a hidden colony. And then it's not a hidden colony, it's a found colony. And then it's not a found colony, it's a, a left-out-to-die colony. I just, I feel like there was way too much in this book. And if he had split it in two and been like, here's just you guys dealing with the Oban or the Conclave, you know, getting resolved. And then the next, I don't see, I don't know where you would cut it. I just felt like there was too many, too many short plots. Oh, plot, oh, Chesky. Plot, oh, Chesky, plot. I have such good news for you. Well, I just, this, that it's, it was like, okay, here's the plot. We're going to survive for two years. Then it's like, here's a short plot. We have to like survive this fight for, you know, and then I just felt like they were too, too many short plots instead of like one much I bigger have, plot for me. I have incredibly good news for you. I'm this listening. book was split into two. The next book is the other half of this book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe it would have made more sense then, you know, if I didn't, I don't know. It just, that, that's mainly my, things i just didn't like about that i'm gonna disagree with you on this last criticism i thought it worked just fine well you're fine that's you're allowed to be wrong again so the no only thing that i wish there had been more of is the werewolves and they just disappear from the plot that's yeah that's like that's me. that's what i'm <laughs> that's saying is like they're a big plot they could have that could have been more you know we're actually setting up this colony and had oh, it been oh. its own whole book and then the next book is like we're actually found and we're a trap and we're hidden. Well, that might've been too much for, for what the book is, but did you feel like there were like scenes missing in places? Yes. Yes. Okay. Sure. So this is, this is something I kind of wanted to get into because the second book is like those missing scenes or not the second book. The fourth book is hmm. like a lot of those missing scenes. Like I read these a long time ago together and like, didn't dig into it to the minutia level mm -hmm. just sort of read along and yeah plot yay but in rereads i keep like i notice very definite stuff where like stops and then the next thing starts and there's stuff that happened between those that we don't get in this book i just wondered if you guys doing a closer first read on this spotted that or not or if it was just me filling in stuff because i've read the next book no, it really felt like, 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 like I said, it was just jumpy. Like we were missing scenes or like there's stuff happening and it's just the passage of time, which obviously you can't talk about the whole time. Chesky, like you can't spend the whole book about that, but I'm going to what? Oh, let me say you're one thing. The colonial <laughs> union is very dumb, but I'm glad to see that their arc from the, the second book is, is paying off here where they don't listen to special forces and 
they think they know what's best, even if they don't. They make bad decisions. Okay, I feel I like need... Red wants to say something, but then I have a response to that. What I was going to say is that you're going to make me downgrade this book, and I'm very sad. <laughs> and I can't believe it's you, of all people, for making me do that. Well, I, I, if I, I love books. And I know you I don't do. like them. I, yeah. yeah, it's I'm sorry. I, yeah. All right. Lammy, hit me with your uh, hit me with your response here. I'm ready for it. OK. All of the leadership of the CDF mm -hmm. is like north of 100 years old. Oh, Do you think no. that that's relevant to their refusing to like try new stuff and rethink battle strategies and oh. not fight literally everyone in the entire universe at once? Don't get me wrong. I love the way that John Scalzi is portraying the CDF and the decisions he's having to make make a hundred percent sense. That is, they're not a criticism at all. That is like a, a good strength for the book that he, you know, these people are, they're the top, the brass does what the brass wants to do. And the soldiers just have to deal with it. And nobody wants to go to war with the entire universe, except the top brass think it's the right idea. So that's what everybody does. So I love, I love the portrayal of the CU. I'm just saying like, those guys are just all, all dumb and should be shot and quartered and General Slizzard should be put in charge and then go from there. Uh, did you do any reassessing between books two and three about the CU being the bad guys? Or did book three sort of reinforce that rather than make you rethink it? I, I just decided that the whole thing is power politics and so there's, there are no good people. Except General Gao. He's a better one than most. He I might think... not be perfect, but he's a better than most. I'm just saying that... Um, I'm trying to remember who said it. Somebody said once, there are good men and there are great men, but there are no good great men. The mm. idea being that there's a certain level of ruthlessness and... Well, to achieve great things is, is something you can't be good and do, basically. Yeah, yeah. that you, you have to almost compromise yourself morally in order to achieve what you need to achieve. So that's what I took from it. I don't know. What do you think, Lamy? This reinforced my, my understanding of the, of the CDF leaders as being just, just Disney evil. Just cartoon, twirling mustache, villain evil. I could definitely see differentiating it, differentiating it between uh, the leaders in charge of the CDF being evil and the bad guys versus humanity being the bad guys. Yes. Because that distinction is drawn, that the CDF is the one who controls all the information and they withhold a ton of it. And they're not elected. There's no there's really no check and balance on them aside from each other. And that's not healthy. I mean, is Slizzard really evil? I don't count him as one of the top brass because even he says he's a second class citizen where he was. He's just a soldier. He doesn't get to make the big decisions. He just has to follow through with them because his decision was not to go to war with the entire universe. I'm still not go going with uh, Disney evil, but definitely not good actors in a lot of respects. The keeping of the information is really super upsetting. Communication. And yeah, communication. You guys are right. And that's why I asked the question, because I didn't have an answer. <laughs> so the next question I have, I don't know. What do you think about the names of the planets like Roanoke and Huckleberry? 
Because when that was a red flag, the second they said, we're, we're going to do a colony called Roanoke. And I'm like, oh, yeah, really? Huge red flag. I was I like, mean, that's that's way too telling. <laughs> John lampshades it like the moment they find out they're on a different planet. He's like, oh, I I should have realized something was up. I know. And I'm like, what are you doing? Don't name it. <laughs> I'm editing, so it's OK. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, as soon as they Wait, named it Roanoke. We, we, we can go blue in this? Yay. No, no, we can't. <laughs> uh, Back I on did track. Like, yeah, I was going to say, I did like naming the planets after like Huckleberry and Mark Twain books and such. I thought that was a nice take. Like, they're going to have different names for all the colonies, but eventually, you know, hopefully every author, you know, that's one of the things that survives is like literature. That's an easy thing to pull names from. So I thought I like that, but. In Croatoa, isn't Croatoa also like a failed colony of some kind? Just uh, like Roanoke was? That was what was carved onto a tree near what near remained Roanoke. of Roanoke. Yeah. Okay, I just I, that's what I thought, but I wasn't sure. So I, I thought it was just funny they did end up naming it Croatoa. Funny um, or a little on the nose. So here's, here's my thinking regarding naming the colony Roanoke. Someone in the generals, like their whole meeting about this, thought that it was very clever, and nobody argued with him about the name. And so he went to lunch being very, very satisfied with himself after that. <laughs> very satisfied with himself. And and nobody was like, Yeah, maybe not. Maybe but I should it, use my brain pal to do a general search in all <laughs> literature for the word Roanoke and see if anything comes up that would give people give it away. No? Well, I guess that's the, too much to ask. The next best name was Operation Blow Up the Conclave. So, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I was actually kind of irritated with John for not catching that. The colony is Roanoke. But I guess he doesn't have his brain pal anymore, so that's why well, he didn't. Well, you have to remember, we're like what, like a hundred to two hundred years le or less from like when Roanoke happened. No, way four hundred. Okay. <laughs> okay, sure, four hundred, whatever. But we're still within, like, you know, it's we we know about it, you know. And but we also John's know about time. the Roman Empire. Yeah, but how <laughs> and the Babylonian Empire. And those are I empires. Mean, those are more than one city that, like, that's true. Maybe, that's true. maybe existed for like a month. <laughs> well, hold up. I can't believe I'm having a fight with Chesky. <laughs> hold up here. In John's defense, as far as we can tell in these books, nothing of significance happened on Earth between present day and his time. As far as like historical events beyond the one war we hear about. Uh, and like the, the creation of the elevator. CU and the jump drive, like that's it as far as like actual important events. There's nothing. They are in like a historical desert. So like him having learned about this in school because that was the last functional time when anything important happened. Yeah, which is well, see. like Star Trek has this problem a lot too, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's tough it to like tough to future write history for something that hasn't happened yet. And... Yeah, everybody on the on the Enterprise is like an expert in 20th century Earth history. 
but none of them know anything about what happens between that and like present day on the show. Right. 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 This is no. true. No, I like the names. I thought he did really good job with name and everything. I like that everything on the colony, um, Huckleberry, all had uh, Mark Twain themed names. So they had like the Clemens Delta and things like that. Yeah. And the, there's like a continent named Sawyer. Why do you think Mark Twain is still relevant hundreds of years into the future? Well, I have an answer see. for this, by the way. I also, since I posed the question, I put some thought into it and I've got also an answer. But Chesky, you looked like you were about to say something. I'm oh, sorry. No, you're fine. All I was saying is, is I, I don't know how relevant he even is in this story. He just was na- picked to name a bunch of planets at, or named a, a colony after. I don't think he'd be. I mean, just as any author after so many years would be less relevant. Go ahead. Tell me I'm wrong, Red or Lammy. You want to go or you want me to go? So one of the things we were talking about is uh, the authority to do something versus the what is right. So Huckleberry Finn, you can say a lot about it. It uses words that we can't say anymore, that kind of stuff. But what the thrust of that book is, I, everybody is telling me that this choice is a wrong choice. I disagree. And I, I am going to do what I think is right. And I'm not going to turn Jim in. Like That is what the book is about. And that is, in a way, what this book is about. That That's my answer. Deeper insight than I have going on. <laughs> it doesn't really answer the question of why this book would be relevant. Because in that is... No, it, it, it does. Because that is something that is a very deep truth. It deals with something that's very human. The same way Shakespeare is still relevant. And the same way that... Greek myths are still relevant in the same way that the Bible is still relevant. And people think about those things. All right. Uh, I've got an, a sort of in-universe explanation, which is okay. the first however many years of colonizing a planet, the, like, you still have PDAs and you know, electronic farming equipment and all that. But the rough tech level of everyday life is kind of similar to Mark Twain times, basically. So that type of lifestyle that's that's depicted in, you know, Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer, name a third Mark Twain thing. Um, I like to think that that was actually in your notes. <laughs> like that, that is a, a like good depiction of what life is like for these colonists just day to day. And so it remains relevant. And also that there's like one guy at the CDF who's, or at the CU who got to name stuff for this one planet. And he just went to town on it. Just, just Mark Twain, baby. (laughs) I just would imagine after so many years of uh, this historical drought where nothing is happening, there'd be a ton of other fiction to try and crowd it out. Not saying that Mark Twain wouldn't, couldn't still be relevant. You guys have swayed me, but uh There'd be so much. I can't even imagine trying to read all those books. There's a lot of books I haven't read. So it's okay. (laughs) But I think that there is um, staying power to certain books. And when when people talk about the classics, like reading a book that's over 500 years old is not hard to do. in, In the sense that there are... I might have to cut all this because I'm now 
I'm sounding dumb, but Don Quixote is still relevant. And there's, I mean, there's books that are just really old that are still relevant. Gilgamesh, for example. <laughs> Do you know anybody who's actually read Gilgamesh? I've read Gilgamesh. Oh, well, well I know someone who's read Gilgamesh. I, yeah, I, I was know somebody who's read Gilgamesh, but taking you out of the equation. <laughs> Not it was, us. I was assigned it in college. Oh. <laughs> and that's an old book. It is old. That is also relevant. So let's talk about power politics. So I'm not going to say any of these names right, so I'm going to have one of you guys say it. But there's a bunch of power politics going on in this book. Okay, I'll say names. Gal Esser. I'm I'm not certain on that one. Xylard, Rybicki. So we've already talked about this a little bit, but how do we feel about how these people interplay? They all have different motives. They are all doing different things. Gao is trying to stop the killing, but Esser is trying to take over the conclave. And then Slizzard and Rybicki also have within the... Um, What's it called? The CDF. CDF. The CDF have different goals and are playing off each other. So um, does... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, so how do you think that works in this book? Does it work well? I mean, of the four listed, I feel like Rybicki is the one most abusing power. Yeah, I, he's pretty... Well, I don't I mean, know, he's, though. He's pretty low level. He doesn't have a whole lot of sway to abuse. Uh, he's he is a general he's got access to yeah. the same information that that the other higher-ups have he's just pretending he doesn't know anything i agree with that he's what he does is very deceitful but i don't think he's one of the ones that's angling to fight every species in the conclave i think those are being made by people above him even i i don't think that's the point the point is is that he's using his knowledge as a weapon because he is trying to move up in the hierarchy. Listeners, you didn't hear it, but uh, Chesky, Chesky shrugged. just shrugged. Yeah, but Rybitsky seems to be one of the few generals who who does have a conscious, a conscious, no. little bit. No, I think Slizzard has way <laughs> Slizzard. <laughs> I think he has way more of a conscious. He doesn't tell Jane, but at least he gives her, even though. There's a lot of problems with the, what he did. He knew that it was going to go down. I never said that Rebicki was the only one with a conscience. I said he, he seems to have a little bit of a conscience because he does feel bad and try to say, try to help the colony, but is unable to because of all the other political maneuvering. I don't know. What do you think, Lamy? I get Esser. I don't get Rebicki. I don't get if, Esser if that, either. If that follows. Yeah. Esser just wants revenge and destruction. And to be and in power and power. Yeah. He's the easiest yeah. to understand. He's the, he's every megalomaniac who is charismatic. I'm going to do so, this and you're going to follow me. He thinks he, say, he I, could lead the conclave better than general gout. He's wrong, but he thinks he could. So yeah. Yeah. So when I say I don't get him, I guess I meant more like he's really, really evil. From his point of view, it's pretty easy for him to justify, like, I'm not evil. We made a conclave. They chose yeah, to mean, break well, the rules. They chose not to join. 
and then they just blew up our big fleet. You know, I nobody who's evil is like not also, justifying their stuff. He, he <laughs> also had the backing of like a large number of conclave species. Yeah, you know, that's like, true. This this dude has, I mean, again, he's he is wrong. His conclusions are incorrect, but he has good points and he has good reasons to believe them. So and I feel like right. he no, he's believable. I feel like he values the the lives of of like at least his people, the people he's fighting for. You know, the for the conclave, he's not like, oh well, screw the conclave. I'm in charge. I want to be the boss. He's like, I want to be the boss because of the con. You know, to to help the you know theoretically down the line to be the one leading it. But like Lamby said, he is way off base on how to actually do that. Right, right. And I think the way Gao uses power is the most admirable way to use it in a lot of respects. Um, he really tries to be honorable, even though I think that what he's doing is wrong. And see, now we're going around in circles again because you're like, I get why he's a it's good whatever. It's like <laughs> turning into a big mess. Well, uh, this is a hard say, topic. And right, I'm like, Gao is, no. the, uh, Gao is the impersonation of, you know, speak softly, but carry a big stick. Right. He speaks softly. Yeah. He says, hey, we want to do this peacefully. And then, you know, if you don't comply, then we will kill you. There's a lot of discussion you could probably have on the legality of the conclave enforcing their will on people not in the conclave. That's a whole thing. At least Gao's trying. He's like, we waste all of our time on war. You know, what if we all just live together? Like, we don't even need the ocean. Yet we blew up. We like destroyed a whole planet just so the water dwellers couldn't live on it. He's been through it and he says, why does it have to continue this way? And I think, Rad, like you pointed out earlier, he's trying to be a great man. And sometimes to be a great man, you have to accomplish hard tasks. Did he willingly, well, excitedly go to every colony to to be like, I'm going to murder you if you don't all leave and listen to what I'm telling you? You know, no, he was not happy about it. I don't. And he tried to give him a way out. He did. He did give him a way out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what do you think, at Lammy? that point, you're a willing combatant, almost. I have a question that's a slight divergence from this. If That's fine. Were you guys done with hmm? I mean, topic? I feel like I started, I opened a can of worms that I am not qualified to <laughs> address. I don't think anyone's qualified to really answer the intricacies of war and colonization, but, uh, <laughs> you know, what's your okay. question? How viable long-term do you think Gao's colonization plan is whenever we find a new habitable world then we just assign whatever whatever species could go best there to go there potentially multiple together species that in the past have done terrible terrible things to each other in this massive intergalactic war well i think that john scalzi even talks about it in a smaller scale where he has the 12 the 12 colonies or the 12 uh, districts of colonies that are colonizing his planet. And none of them liked each other. Now, granted it wasn't to the same level of like, you know, these other human colonists didn't murder your family and your friends and people, but you know, he brings them all in together and they're able to work because they're children. If they grow up, I, I think it would, it could have success based on how it's run and how it's implemented. Now, if every, planet you find just happens to be inhabitable for this one species and they get every single planet that's not really 
going to work. It's going to, you know, take it down faster. If they were really fair about it and truthful and, you know, best of intentions, I think it could work really well. I think people would, hopefully people would hopefully forgive those things sooner than later. I think that it would very quickly turn into a hierarchy of species getting the best planets and the other species getting short shrift or getting subpar planets, even if you're mixing people together or species together. I don't. So it's semi-viable. Yeah. I feel like it's going to blow up at some point. Yeah, I do too. The, the example I was going to put together was like, what if the Ray and the CU joined the conclave? And since they have, you know, complementary planet biology. Types. Yeah. What what if they got put on the same planet? The Ray, if you'll recall, just love eating human babies. <laughs> I think there would have to be a lot more polit there would have to be a lot more administration than just, oh, you guys are are physically compatible with each other. They'd also have to work towards social compatibility at least for a generation or three. And then presumably the humans have also done horrible, horrible things to the Ray of an equivalent nature of eating human babies. Because as we've seen, the, the CDF is, um, what's, what's the word I want to use? Evil? Yes, but in a different way. Like, words are gone. Nope. But yes, Red, I think you have, uh, you, you've touched the long-term issue, which is that Corruption will set in because it's politics. And as a result, some species get better planets. Some species get worse planets. And it eventually all falls apart. So, Chesky, I just want to say that this is the fourth time cannibalism has come up <laughs> with me. <laughs> it's not cannibalism. They're different species. <laughs> Eating it, of humans has come up. <laughs> if it was you... humans eating human babies, that would be cannibalism. You are cursed, but have to agree with Lammy. Doesn't sound quite like cannibalism, but it's close. <laughs> I'm just saying, I've talked a lot about eating people. <laughs> I don't understand why it keeps happening to me. If you'd quit bringing the Vray up, we wouldn't have to talk about it. Oh, that was my fault. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't enough. bring it up. <laughs> sure. And I didn't bring up cannibalism on the Martian episode either. I'm cutting okay. all this. I so, have Okay. Sorry, one quick question no. before we get back to Red's list. Dragons versus slime molds, which team are you cheering for in the dodgeball dragons. finals? Dragons. Yeah, sorry, it's got to be dragons as much as a good slime. Traitors. <laughs> Traitors. Slime molds for life. I love the fact that they took um, the aggression and then they made these teams and they split everybody up so that the different colonies so that the aggression could turn into a productive competition to get people together. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's better that we have our big fights over who wins the dodgeball tournament than over. I don't know. I'm I know where I'm trying to go, but I'm not getting there and I am so sorry. <laughs> Somebody else want to try and reformulate that for me. <laughs> Dodgeball brings people together. It is the universal sport. I like it. <laughs> yep. 
You know so, what? I actually want to change my, my answer on themes. Dodgeball. Dodgeball. <laughs> I'll stick with communication for a little bit of consistency. People are going to be so confused. <laughs> well, Maybe told me it was a book about dodgeball. <laughs> so Zoe is Greek for life. Do you think this was an intentional choice on Scalzi's part? I will say yes, I do. Yeah, I'm pretty indifferent to it, but I could see it for sure. Um, I will say yes in as much as it applies to the Oban. Specifically the Oban. Zoe is representative of a lot of things that we equate to living beings for the Oban that they didn't have without, well, specifically the, the research into consciousness. But Zoe represents that. And that was a better answer than mine. Anything else you guys want to say? I want to say one thing. I am glad we got to see the Kansu again. I was missing them for my two books. And it's not weird or suspicious at all that they just happened to give Zoe this magic, magic. techno device. <laughs> and it definitely won't cause, it won't like be a future plot point that the, the uh, Kansu just happened to help out this time. No, it definitely won't. That was telegraphed hard. <laughs> But I'm excited. I like the Kansu and I like their storyline that they're they're just so much more advanced than us. But, you know, they're still not just like, well, we're just going to blow up every planet you own just because they have a weird reason. They just for don't it. care. They just don't care. Yeah. They're, we just don't matter. <laughs> Except we mattered enough in the first book and we still matter enough for them to fight. I mean... But you're right. We don't matter to them. Oh, and I want I still want my brain pal. I think that would be a really nice, fun thing to have. I know you think I mean, it'd be weird, Red, but... I'm so anti-brain pal. I cannot I, even... I look forward to the eventual transhumanism that will happen. I mean, I'm, I'm already no. part cyborg with my, with my, uh, my seeing right. robot here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and no brain pal for John, but uh, yes one for Jane still. So that was... How's he going to watch Bugs Bunny now? That's right. No way to it's, do it. It's very sad very sad if you like this book what else would you recommend that's not the sequel lammy i know i've i've got a real one this time <laughs> okay but chesky oh i was gonna something? say uh yeah i recommend the first book and uh <laughs> that no Jeez. <laughs> uh, i also recommend red shirts by john scalzi that was a really fun one he does write good books even though i didn't like this one i really do like to read his books. They are good. I, I think you'll like this one better after you read the next one. Okay. My recommendation, if you liked this book, is a Heinlein book. Uh, you'll remember that the first book of this series was basically Heinlein fan fiction. Um, so I would recommend Tunnel in the Sky, which is a young adult uh, Heinlein book. It's about... Uh, some high school students going on their survival final to eventually become colonists. Uh, they are sent through a portal to uh, an uncolonized world, and they have to survive there for anywhere from two to ten days. Uh, but a glitch happens. They get sent to a completely different world than what was intended, and it's Heinlein's direct response to Lord of the Flies. Oh, nice. Oh, that is and interesting. I really enjoyed it. It's been a long time since I read it. 
so it may not hold up in the way that my brain thinks it did. It shares a lot of similarities with this book, and it's also a direct response to Lord of the Flies, which absolutely counters the Lord of the Flies, every man for himself philosophy. That is not what that... Anyway, I'm going to disagree with you about Lord of the Flies. <laughs> if you want right. to read uh, Lord of the Flies, we can talk about that sometime too. I would be down. Because um, I actually really like that book. Um, so I would recommend Shards of Honor by Lois McMaster Bejold. Also Power Politics and War. And Fighting Over a Planet. And just anything by her is amazing. So now it's time for Shameless Plugs. Lammy, where can people find you? On a weekly basis, I host the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast, which can be found most places that have podcasts. I hope all places that have podcasts, but I don't know where we're not yet. You can also join our Discord, Discord uh, by going to patreon.com slash CosmereCast, C-O-S-M-E-R-E-C-A-S-T. You don't have to give us money, but if you do, we'd appreciate it. Lend me some money if you have it. Chesky? Uh, yes, <laughs> you can find me in the legendary discord 99% of the time, but I do do my own podcast called Libromancy. Basically, I just talk about fun books that I've read and I don't very give a very critical eye on any of them for the most part, but, uh, I like to talk about them. Lots of people like to listen. I hope it's a lot of fun. May or may not have a project coming out in a few months. So we'll find out as well, well as Green Team, where you can always find me. Thank you so much for listening to us. Please consider donating to The Legendarium via Patreon. And a link to, the, a link to our Discord can be found on thelegendarium.com. The music is by Galactic Damages by Jingle Punks. Thanks, Craig, for loaning us a little co corner of your empire and a shout out to Horizon Brave for starting it all. And for Lammy and Chesky, I'm Little Red Book. Good night. Bye. See you later. Bye. Guys, I'm going to have to step away for five. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. Is her food home? I think her food's home. <gasps> her food might be home. Yeah. That's number one son went to go get Chinese food. Who? I wonder. And apparently. Apparently she didn't order, like she's just getting something of a mystery from here, like whatever he got for her. <laughs> uh, oh, oh boy. Yeah.